Hi, this is the Cancer Liberation Project podcast. If you've been touched by cancer and have some fear around remaining healthy, you are in the right place. As a 20-year-plus cancer survivor, Haley knows how unsettling it can be to not only hear the words, you have cancer, but also the uncertainty and fear that comes when you have been declared cancer-free. The Cancer Liberation Project was born out of Haley's desire to make cancer less scary for people, to give people hope that they can not only heal from cancer, but live their best, most vibrant life after cancer. Get ready to be inspired with your host, Haley Dubin. Hi everyone, welcome to the Cancer Liberation Project. Today, I'm really excited to share my conversation with Kirsten Neusgruber, a cancer nutrition expert, author, and speaker Kirsten is passionate about helping people get out of cancer overwhelm by teaching them how to reclaim their lives. A two-time cancer survivor herself, she learned firsthand the importance of an integrative medicine approach to one's health to facilitate true healing. She offers personalized mentoring packages to private clients and in collaboration with functional medicine practitioners, and can be hired for speaking engagements where she advocates for a complementary approach to augment traditional cancer care and practice proactive prevention. I look forward to sharing my conversation with Kirsten, but before I do, I just want to remind you, if you're looking for some great cancer prevention tips, go to revivewellness.com. That's R-E-V-I-V-E Wellness. And click on free gift. Hi, Kirsten. Welcome to the Cancer Liberation Project. I'm really happy to have you here. Hi, Haley. I'm very honored to be here. Thank you for having me on your show. My pleasure. So, first, I just wanted you to tell me a little bit about your story and just hear how you got into helping people with cancer. I get that question all the time. And uh, the answer is pretty simple, really. So uh, I decided to use my hobby, which was nutrition, and turn that into a new career uh, at the end of my 30s, right? And we were living in Germany at the time uh, on assignment um, for a period of time. And during that time, while I was studying for, uh, at nutrition school in Munich, uh, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And um, it was in running in my family my mother was actually going through her second breast cancer treatment at that time but she lived in South Africa so we all spread around on different continents right we we know we're close to each other unfortunately uh, and my aunt in Germany had had it and had passed away from it at 39 which is the age that I was at when I was diagnosed so a lot of things culminated and came together and in particular the nutrition school was the anchor for me at the time and also gave me immense purpose that was going to be my direction so um, not only did I drop that, I actually really intensified my studies in, in oncology, nutrition, uh, cancer support uh, treatment, because I was doing that on myself as well. And I wanted to learn more how we can use nutrition to guide people through um, the actual diagnosis, through the, the actual treatment period, uh, you know, alongside their uh, normal uh, conventional approach. And um, so my personal story was I was diagnosed at 39 um, with uh, stage one breast cancer, thinking kind of thinking it, but not accepting my turn, 
right? I'm my mother, my aunt, you know, on my maternal side. So going, no, 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 the buck stops here. This can't be. I have a daughter. At that time, she was only in first grade thinking this can't be the pattern. So that led me onto this whole path too of adopting a, from the, the outset a very integrative approach, combining the best of both worlds, um, but clinically based as, uh, you know, as much as possible. But there's some, some energy healing work involved as well, um, but never at the exclusion of the conventional approach. So the conventional approach was always there as well, but I just realized I needed to do so much more. So that led me to um, that journey, which you know included uh, uh, olympectomy at the time. I did go through chemotherapy. I did refuse radiation therapy and I refused hormone therapy because I wasn't estrogen receptor positive. I was progesterone receptor positive, but only 50% expressed. So to me, that was, didn't need it all, right? Um, three years later, we had by then moved back to the United States. Um, I was diagnosed again, and it wasn't a recurrence. Uh, although it wasn't the same breast, but it wasn't a recurrence. It was diff had different markers and a bit of a different area of the breast. So, of course, the first thing that comes to mind is, first of all, feeling betrayed, thinking, I've done so much. What else do I need to do? Is it really working? Then guilt, thinking I should have done radiation, I should have done hormone treatment. Although, interestingly, that second breast cancer was completely hormone receptor negative, right? So you weigh up your options and you look forward and you 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 tackle the beast. And that included um, a, a mastectomy at the time, uh, another round of chemotherapy, because now I was stage uh, three. It was in my lymph nodes, um, so chemotherapy was recommended, um, and um, I did do radiation therapy at the time. And again, uh, the antibody therapy, more targeted therapy, Herceptin at the time was only given, which was an infusion that you get every three weeks for one year because you heard two positive, which is a particular uh, breast cancer marker as well. So once again, you kind of, when you go through the initial emotions, you, you roll up your sleeves and you say, all right, uh, I'm going to do exactly the same thing again and even more. Um, you know, a comprehensive, uh, integrative approach. And you're still busy with that, right? You don't, don't ever stop with that. That's our path. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. It, mm -hmm. you know, I think cancer survivors are so resilient. They, they just want, you know, the people that I talk to, especially, and I'm, I'm guessing people you work with just want to do anything they can to get better. And, you know, I know with me, I really look deep inside of myself to, to, to really look at what is going on with me. What do I need to change? Mm -hmm. And, you know, my guess is you have done the same. What have you learned about yourself from cancer? I've learned that the, the mind body approach is, very real and very necessary um, that we really need to go beyond the borders of our physical body as well uh, and delve into that unknown area um, energy healing is part of that understanding that we have a um, first of all we can utilize our mind in our health path our health journey but also going even beyond that, going into the area that you can't measure as such. So there are uh, things like biofeedback therapies, hypnotherapy, you know, go accessing your subconscious, uh, delving into that whole area as well, which scares some people um, because it just isn't as clear cut and straightforward. But once you go on that path and you realize um, that there is so much more to you than just that, um, you, you really get a completely different perspective 
of who you are, why you're here, and what it is you can do, and and how, how where you fit into this puzzle of of being, you know. So that part, um, you know, I really it sounds corny, but I really have cancer to thank because I was always interested in that, but I never, you know, you never follow through. Sometimes you just kind of you get a feeling you're drawn to something but then it's it's not that clearly defined and nobody nobody pushes you into it and then suddenly this happens and when you approach this diagnosis with an open mind saying all right I have to now really listen this is my body speaking to me for a reason I really need to pay attention that's when you just go beyond this right and uh, you have the opportunity to it's your choice it's a choice um those are the people I work with. I, I do not work with, with those who just, you know, respectfully are not there yet and are not willing to go to that degree of expansion. And that's fine. You know, there's no judgment here. We are all at that point where we are closed up and don't want to go any step further. I mean, we've come from there as well. So I, I fully empathize with that. For um, sure. But the people that I work with have that desire to, to, to learn more about themselves as well. Now, do you feel like the second time you were more willing to get into that stuff or what did it happen after the first time? I was in it. I was in that already. And that I think partly was this betrayal reaction where I felt what more do I need to do until you kind of realize uh, this is all part of your path. (laughs) And nobody said this path is going to be linear, going to be going from good to bad and everything's going to be hunky-dory from there on. I mean, that's just not what this life journey is all about. So uh, it teaches you a lot of humility as well. So true. So true. You know that, Yeah, I can relate to what you're saying because, Mm. you know, I felt like I was doing all these great things and then I I got a skin cancer, melanoma, and I um, was diagnosed with Hashimoto's. And so you think, oh my gosh, what else can I do? I'm trying so hard, but it is, it's, it's a puzzle and you constantly have to work at it, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah you do, you do. Um, and do you work with all stages of cancer? Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. Great. So I, I have a private practice, um, but I also support um, naturopathic oncologists um, who then... Um, work with these cancer patients in conjunction with their respective oncologists as well. Um, So I take care of the nutrition lifestyle side and the clinical side is taken care of um, by the the other supportive team. And yes, um, there are all stages of cancer there. So um, I do have um, stage four cancer patients too that are thriving and I do have those that will not be thriving and um, either they know it or they don't know it and we are moving towards that end phase so we have everything Um, we really have everything okay I think it's so great that you do work with these naturopathic oncologists because Mm. I think people need a team and and you don't see that often Yes. No, there's care. so much we can do. Uh, and it's it, it's stepping, stepping outside the, the boundary of, of the, the standard of care paradigm, um, which also means it comes out of your own pocket. Uh, you know, it's not supported, but there's so much clinical evidence out there. Um, which it, it would just be such a pity and a shame not to make use of that. Absolutely. And, you know, there's so much nutritional advice out there, as you know. Yes. And, you know, I just wanted you to give our listeners 
one or two things that they can do to prevent cancer? There's no magic bullet to prevent cancer because each cancer is unique, all right? And, and, and essentially, it is generally your own body not able to do its function properly, right? Or function properly, do its job properly for various reasons. Um, not to mean this that you now go onto a blame game going, what did I do wrong? No, it just is, you know, this your body is a very intricate piece of machinery and a lot of things can impact it. So um, the best prevention is um, work with a more functionally oriented nutritionist or even a terapeutic doctor um, uh, to uh, assess a baseline of where you are at, where are main bodily functions that we need for survival at, uh, where is your gastrointestinal health at, where is your liver detoxification and your overall liver health at, where is your hormonal health at? Um, where are your, where's your micronutrient status? Do you have, where's your cardiovascular health at? Do you have any um, systemic inflammation? Um, uh, so there are lots of areas we can focus on before we get sick, before we end up with a diagnosis, just to see where are there imbalances. And here we use clinical data. We use lab tests so that can either be two degree conventional tests or functional tests to give us information, feedback about our body. And then we can address systematically and methodically what it tells us, right? So we don't need to guess. We don't need to go out there going, this sounds good and that sounds good. I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to do that. I, I, I caution against that because you are unique. We all are. And um, we need to understand how does this body work? Um, the genetic testing that we have available now that tells us which um, uh, genetic uh, mutations or SNPs, SNPs, um, single nucleotide polymorphisms we have that can be switched on with certain nutritional lifestyle factors, right? So when we know that, we know where our weak spots are and how we can then live our life and consciously make certain choices or not. So those, you know, those are cornerstones to this functional uh, approach to your health that really helps you to, to be as personalized as you possibly can rather than following a certain trend. Yes, that's so important. I mean, it, you know, you can't change your genes, but you can turn on and off your genes, right? It, it, well, that's it. I mean, it's, it, you, you can influence your genetic expression, absolutely. Um, but for that, you need to know what you have. <laughs> and then you need to know what, what's going on already uh, that we don't know of. You know, by the time we get a, a Hashimoto's diagnosis, there have been lots of signs before that isn't picked up in standard of care because it doesn't contain this whole proactive prevention part, this whole wellness part where you look at yourself and go, well, I, I don't have a particular symptom yet. Oh, I don't think I have. You know, sometimes we think certain things are normal and actually already a symptom. Um, but let's look at that. How many people are willing to invest in that? Because your, your health insurance certainly isn't. Uh, and then most of us, um, and again, this is not we're saying without judgment because we all come from that. We just haven't been taught by society that it's actually a very wise thing to do, to invest some money, do some of these functional tests and find out oh, what's going on, you know? That's um, so true. And yeah. like you said, I, I didn't know my digestive system was bad because I had part of my colon removed. 
And, you know, I would go to a GI doc. They didn't help me at all. And then for so long, I just would have these symptoms. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get an autoimmune issue. So it's so important what you're saying. Mm. We have so much tools. Sorry, we have so many tools available in the functional testing world as well that really give you so much detailed information, um, which helps you to optimize it. And, And that's like, that's the best. Like I say, that's the best foundation to start off with. Now, how do you stand on consuming soy for breast cancer patients? Because I know oncologists say don't eat soy at all. What do you advise your patients? There's so many layers to that. There isn't a clear-cut answer. So first of all, we need to understand what soy does and um, what the so-called phytoestrogens in soy are, um, that they do not have the same potency as human estrogens. Um, Then we need to understand that, um, yes, there are certain studies out there, but there are um, so many clinical studies as well that actually show that consuming uh, certain soy products, right, certain soy products can actually be beneficial in preventing recurrence. Um, so I always, I always give this analogy um, to, to help people understand what is an estrogen receptor and so on. So an estrogen receptor is like a keyhole in the lock to a door. An estrogen is the key that fits into that keyhole, opens the door, and then can turn on growth-promoting factors. All right. So when you have a phytoestrogen, in other words, a plant estrogen from soy, but please understand that many of our health foods have those two nuts and seeds, certain vegetables, um, a lot of the certain vegetables that we are supposed to eat that have cancer-fighting properties contain isoflavones too, all right? So it's not just soy, okay? So let, let's kind of understand that. So these phytoestrogens, they do function as the key that fits into that estrogen receptor keyhole, but they don't have the power to unlock it and open the door. What they're actually doing is they're blocking that estrogen receptor from docking to a more problematic estrogen. So that's the protective uh, effect that comes in. So that's the one part to it. The other part to it is, of course, um, where we, we don't just have to think of phytoestrogens. We have to think of xenoestrogens as well. These are estrogens from our environment, toxic byproducts of certain of our body care products, of plastics, et cetera. So we could have a certain toxic load that includes xenoestrogens, which are more problematic than the phytoestrogens. So we need to understand that too. Um, So then the other factor to the whole soy thing too is where are you at uh, on the, the menopause scale? So if we are someone who um, is in menopause, so the body is, is naturally not producing as much estrogen anymore, we still have some estrogen, especially in our fat cells. So if we are uh, overweight, we, we have the potential to have more estrogen stored with us. Okay. If we then consume phytoestrogen, so we have more circulating estrogens in our body, right, because of our storage forms and where else we keep estrogen. So if we then introduce phytoestrogens, we, we have a more protective effect against that. But if we are someone, let's say postmenopausal, um, maybe on treatment, on hormone treatments, uh, cancer hormone treatments, 
uh, that block estrogen receptors or block the aromatase enzyme that converts into estrogen. Um, we are slim, so we don't have excess body fat. Um, and um, in other words, our load of estrogen is very low. And now we introduce a very high load of phytoestrogens continuously. There is a risk, a potential risk, that that could then have more estrogenic effects than what we want, rather than just a protective effect. So it really depends on the scale where you are at, what treatment you are doing, and, and what your consumption of soy was beforehand too. So if you're someone who's grown up with soy consumption, then stay with that. It, it, you, it's part of your diet. And again, it depends on where the scale at where are you at. We kind of have to assess that. So each person is, is individual here. We have to look at each person separately. Um, if you are um, someone who's never consumed soy products and suddenly you go, I need to eat soy, uh, and then you go also to all the processed soy products uh, that I really say stay away from, soy milk and soy yogurt and soy this, um, too, too processed, okay? Um, then, you know, you, 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 you could be potentially introducing a, 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 an imbalance. Um, and then, of course, you can test, and I keep on having to go back to that, you can test to see how you metabolize or break down estrogen in your body because estrogen needs to be broken down and then it, it, it gets broken down into certain pathways. And some of these pathways are more conducive to, to, to uh, potential cancer growth than others. So if that comes up high for you, then you know on what scale you lie. If that comes up low for you, you kind of are more protected. Okay. What test is that? It's, the, it's a more um, functionally oriented hormone test that generally uses either saliva or dried urine. Um, and for these metabolites, for the estrogen metabolites, they generally use dried urine um, for that. Okay. If you use functional labs for that, um, ZRT labs or Dutch labs, and you have to work through a, uh, a practitioner with, uh, in order to, to, to get those tests done. So they're not available to the public. So I wanted to ask you about sugar because there are so many mixed things like, you know, People say sugar feeds cancer, and then you read, no, that's not the case. So I tend to believe that it's more insulin, that it, you know, when you drive insulin too much, that's the problem. So tell me your, your feelings about that. Sure. It's not as isolated and as straightforward as that, right? So we're looking at certain um, metabolic functions in the body. Um, and the theory that cancer is a metabolic disease uh, is very strong, um, has very strong support for that. So you're looking at glucose insulin metabolism overall, and you need to understand what's going on in your body there, even, you know, unrelated to your cancer diagnosis, where are you at? Um, both glucose and insulin are growth factors. All right. So um, if they are out of balance, we have a problem. Then it depends on the type of cancer that you have. Certain cancers are much more prone to that. Um, but we also need to understand that um, cancer can feed on all three macronutrients. So carbohydrates, which turn to sugar, fats as well, ketones, right? Um, and then, of course, proteins too. Proteins can be converted into, into sugar, into glucose as well. So then we have the phenomenon that depending on where you are at in your, in your stage um, and what your tumor load is, so if you have a higher tumor load, um, we can have what we refer to as heterogeneity inside a tumor, meaning that 
a tumor can respond differently. So parts of a tumor can respond to glucose or insulin. Other parts of a tumor can respond to certain amino acids. So it can become really, really tricky. So it really isn't that straightforward as everybody thinks. However, um, if we want to really um, reduce it to that one line, sugar feeds cancer, uh, is our society too addicted to a higher carbohydrate intake, higher sugar intake? Absolutely, yes. Um, I will always state the sample. I mean, example, when we moved to the United States 20 years ago now, um, I remember how everything is so much more sweeter here. We came from South Africa. I have a German background, South African background, so I can refer to South Africa. I can refer to Germany, Austria, Switzerland, right? Um, and um, everything is so high in sugar. You, you put sugar everywhere. Okay, when, when you walk down the bread aisles, you can smell it. Uh, you put it in your ham. I mean, you put it in places where you shouldn't have sugar. All right. So the sugar intake, that is a problem. All right. That does lead to bl uh, blood glucose um, imbalances. It leads to people expecting a higher or having a higher sugar threshold, needing more sugar, becoming dependent on that, not understanding how... Um, solid nutrition can prevent these ups and downs and highs and lows and, and, and blood sugar crashes and so on. So it is generally a more um, a preventative approach, again, to understand, to eat balanced, um, you know, balance your meals, um, don't eat so many, don't rely on so many higher carbohydrates, understand you need to balance it with healthy protein, with healthy fats as well. Fats are your, your friend, not your enemy, healthy ones. Um, so there definitely is a, a, a big bonus in just reducing your sugar intake overall. Everyone could agree on that vegetables are an important part of the diet. You know, they have vitamins and minerals and bring oxygen to the cells. So I know a lot of people struggle with getting more vegetables in their diet. Do you have any recommendations just to be able to incorporate more vegetables into the diet? Yes, yeah, sure. Um, smoothies are great, you know, shakes or smoothies. That's a really good way of getting um, more vegetables in. Um, then uh, I love just different salads, uh, you know, hearty salads. I love stir fries. I love different roasted vegetables. And that way you always have a, a plethora of choice available. Um, and also just rethinking how you, you structure your meal. People think often start a meal with what's my starch going to be. You know, you don't want to do that at all. And, and you want to kind of eliminate that thought. You want to rather go, what's my protein going to be? That's number one, because protein can keep your blood sugar levels balanced. Okay. So if we have protein at every meal, um, moderate amount of proteins at every meal that can keep your, um, feel you, make you feel full. And then we decide two or three vegetables. What, what are they going to be? Um, again, do them in a stir fry, put them together, um, you know, um, in a soups or stews, same thing. Um, just always think, all right, what's, what's my variety of vegetables? Some of the vegetables you can buy, they can keep in your fridge for over a week, right? If you store them properly. Um, buy frozen organic vegetables, always have a couple of packets of those. So you never have an excuse of, I don't have enough vegetables at home. There's always going to be enough vegetables at home. You just need to plan for it. And, um, you know, uh, think around that, you know, think of what's my green going to be today? Is it going to be uh, a salad green? Is it going to be some spinach? Is it going to be some parsley? You know, what's, where do I fit the green in today? Oh, um, I'm going to have an omelet. I can sprinkle some, some uh, sprouts over them, right? Um, these things can be homemade or store-bought, um, you know, whether you want to do your own seedling sprouts they're very very nutritious very nutrient they, they're tiny i mean the, the greens are tiny in them but they're very potent packed 
they really pack a nutrition punch uh, or you go buy some. Um, but the options are there. I mean, we really have so in this country, we have so many options available now. So um, we have online to order a lot of things too. So there's no real excuse uh, not to go down that line and then just learn how to uh, use seasonings and spices so that they actually taste well. Um, I often focus with my clients on that is like, how do we make them taste good? Uh, and then they go, well, I never realized that tastes nice. Yeah, well, you don't have to just eat it blandly. I wouldn't. That would be really boring, right? <laughs> I know. I feel like people think eating vegetables is boring and it doesn't taste yeah. good. Yeah, of course, if you just steam it and have nothing to it, oh, you know, that wouldn't be good. No. <laughs> exactly. So do you suggest having a vegetable with each meal? Absolutely. Or... Not just one, two or three. Yeah. So what, I mean, you gave wonderful advice, but what advice sticks out to you to, to tell someone that's going through cancer? Learn to embrace it. Okay. It's very easy to categorize it as your enemy. Um, and it's, it's natural to go through that motion, right? Where you want to fight it. It's okay. But see that as a phase, like get it out of your system, go punch something, do something. And then learn to embrace it because it's actually meant to teach you a hell of a lot. Um, and we, we need a certain level of humility here to really open ourselves up to the opportunity to transcend this. We need to transform our relationship with cancer. It's so important to be able to do that. Um, because even when we are going through treatments and we consider to be remission and so on, we have to stay vigilant, right? It doesn't leave you. Um, so we need to learn to live with that and to just, you know, understand how do we change our lives to accommodate that and to, to make that a part of our life without being frightened by it. Oh, that's such good advice because you're right today, just everyone is so afraid, so scared when you hear the word cancer. And so if you can embrace it and, and kind of figure out what do I need to get well, it's just yeah. such a better way of looking at it. Yeah. Just broaden your horizons uh, and perspectives because um, we have the conventional standard of care and that's just one tool in your toolbox. There are many other tools we can use. So I know that your big thing is nutrition, but, but you do work with people on stress management and the emotional aspect of, of the cancer journey, correct? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So out of curiosity, I'm going back a little bit. Did you find that you were at a stressful point in your life when you were diagnosed with cancer? I know, you know, so many people I talked to, they had a big event that, that may have happened years before. Well, think about it. When we have a big event, what does that do? It really it can suppress your immune system, right? It can, um, you know, reduce your life force, your chi, however you want to call that, it can severely suppress that. So when the body is then challenged, it can't respond accordingly. And boom, then we, it, 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 it caves, it gives in, right? So um, you, it, it, doesn't also it doesn't have to be a big life event. It can also be a suppressed uh, emotional um, uh, underlying um, thing that is kind of sitting there and that you kind of deep down, if you would be, brutally honest with yourself you you know you'd need to address that and you need to do something about that 
but you don't know how to start this. You don't know how to do it, how to tackle that. It might be a relationship to a family member or whatever. So you kind of always push it aside, push it aside. Um, and then when you, when you get hit with a diagnosis, you have to kind of work on that as well, right? Um, so it could also be something like, you are not satisfied or fulfilled with the choices you've made up until then in your life. And you feel that you're not being heard or you feel you don't have a voice or you feel you're not living your purpose. So all those things that aren't big events, but if you really sit down and reflect, then you realize this has been following me for so long. Uh, I need to do something about that. So it really is a time to go into some self-reflection uh, and figure out, you know, where what are the other areas in my life that I have neglected without judgment, because we don't do that on purpose, right? Uh, and even if we purposefully push things aside, it, it, we generally are under other strains, okay? Um, trying to juggle too many balls or something like that. But uh, it really is a time to then um, hunker down. And that's part of your, of your health journey is um, chiseling out time for yourself. And sometimes it, it can be uncomfortable or confrontational if, if this happens within your own family, if you've taught your family that you will always be the one taking care of everybody else's needs, especially as women, and uh, you now need to kind of stop in your tracks and go, sorry, guys, you need to, you know, step up to the plate and do your own thing. I'm not going to arrange, organize everything for you all the time. And I'm going to make certain choices that are good for me. And you can either follow me along with that or not. Those are very hard decisions to make for, for certain personalities. It really depends on your personality too, um, whether you are what steps you take. And we have conversations often. I mean, often the sessions turn into these kinds of conversations because this comes up um, and it will come up. If, if, if it's ready to come up, it will come up. It will become a topic for discussion. I don't consciously have a list checklist and go, let's talk about this. No, these things have, if you are ready as the, 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 you know, the recipient, they will come up in you and they will say, it'll come out of you. And then, then that gives us an opportunity to talk about it. So it's more, it's more of a natural flow, you know, and then sometimes I do have the odd um, uh, a client that I work with who um, it's scary. And they say, I know I need to do something about it, but I can't do it right now. I have to respect that, right? It's not on me to push you into a certain area uh, at all. So it's just, I'm just as a guide, a support and saying, remember, you know, look at this, look at that. And if you want me to, we can analyze something. But other than that, because um, sometimes just also focusing on the nutrition uh, impact alone can be huge for some people. Oh, absolutely. You know? And I guess it's just about baby steps, right? Just sometimes yes. little things that you can do. And I really have the gamut. I have those where we need to take teeny tiny baby steps and I have those where you kind of sprint to keep up with them. So I have everything, which is, and everyone is unique in their own way and very special. Uh, obviously, it's, uh, we, can, we can interact at a much higher level with those sprinters, um, but that doesn't mean to say that I also don't really enjoy um, following in baby steps because it teaches you humility again. You need to stay humble because we've all been there. All right. None of us 
came from this enlightened phase. We've all been through those struggles where we block and we resist and we, we, we deny. We, we've all been there. And we should not forget that because <laughs> we still there's still moments where we sometimes can slip into that or we present it with new challenges and suddenly you realize, what am I doing? I'm, I'm pushing back on this. I'm resisting this. And like, okay, I should know better. It happens, right? It does. We're human, We're right? Human. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, I know you work individually with clients according to their needs, but I just wanted to know, are there certain supplements that you recommend that someone going through cancer takes? Are there certain ones that are pretty, you know, standard? We really have to look at the individual person um, and then look at see what um, the respective medical team allows them to do or not to do. Um, so as a baseline, which is generally always considered to be safe territory is, is gut gut health support, right? So um, they're definitely, um, you know, one can do a lot um, looking at various aspects that, that, that are gut issue related, whether it's uh, probiotics or digestive enzymes or um, gut lining repair, you know, those things are generally acceptable. Um, so those would be standard. Um, and then vitamin D levels need to be optimized. Uh, and that's something that an oncologist will always agree with anyway. So, um, you know, those are two, you know, without knowing someone, those are two where I can definitely say we really need to always focus on that. And the rest is very, very individualized. Um, so the uh, clinical doctors that I work with, they have their, have their patients on very rigorous supplement protocols, very high potencies um, that I as a, a nutritionist cannot uh, recommend at that level because that's more of a clinical approach. Uh, but that's really what, what is needed. If you are going through cancer treatment, that's really what is needed. And I always encourage my clients who are open to that, who want to work with that, to then, um, you know, put themselves under the care of some, you know, um, clinician, like a naturopathic oncologist or so, to, to um, offer this care alongside the conventional approach. Because you're not interacting. I mean, that's the whole point. You're trying to enhance... Um, the 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 purpose and effectiveness of of the treatment that you're going through and then of course once we are post cancer treatment stage um we have a little bit more wiggle room and more freedom um and uh, there too i mean always need to start building the gut back up because the gut uh, the gut lining is always annihilated by especially chemotherapy so and of course someone on immunotherapy think about that you are using elements of your immune system, just certain elements that are being stimulated like the heck to, to fight cancer, which means you're causing imbalances. Many of those patients, cancer patients, they're not diagnosed with autoimmune conditions as well because you have, yes, you've used the immune system, but in a very unbalanced way. Um, there, you've got to be extra careful with certain supplements because you don't want to take anything that stimulates the immune system. You want to rather help calm things down rather than stimulate. So you need to be very careful what you do there. Yes. Makes so much sense. Now, are you ready for random round questions? We're already at the next segment. Sure. <laughs> so fill in the blank. Freedom to you is? Choice. <laughs> the last show you binged and loved? Outlander. <laughs> Huge Outlander fan. I can go back to that again and again and again. <laughs> I've heard such great things. I've not seen it yet. 
I've read all the books. You've got to read the books first. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> when you're feeling afraid, what do you do? Yeah, it depends, right, where that fear is coming from. So you either go within yourself or go out into nature. Um, and uh, generally that helps put things into perspective as well. Or you consult with your support group, which is either, you know, my husband, we are, we are very close, um, or a very close group of friends and you just talk. Um, or you just allow the emotions, allow that fear to come out. Um, really just, just let it, let it go, you know, don't suppress those feelings, let, let them come out and, um, it's very cleansing. And then you can, then you have a different perspective afterwards to, to address whatever it is that you're afraid of. If you could have a one hour discussion with someone past or present, who would it be and why? I really respect our past president, Barack Obama. I, I think he is a fabulous mind and I'd love to talk to him. He has a wonderful podcast, by the way, with Bruce Springsteen. I heard about Ren that. Renegades. It is fantastic. Oh, and I'm a huge Springsteen fan. So I would me, love me that. Me too. So <laughs> it's, you think these two? You think this? It, it's, it, it, it's fantastic. Oh, interesting. <laughs> what is your favorite go-to snack? nuts macadamia nuts in particular i only need about four or five they're very filling they, they're very high in fat too nice what's one simple thing that brings you joy my dog <laughs> oh i've always had dogs in my life so and i always will will do so yeah just playing around goofing around with with uh with him that unconditional love yes What's on your nightstand? The body care products like natural body care products, uh, hand cream and foot cream and uh, lip balm, um, my non-electric alarm clock, um, a picture of both my children when they were babies, the cutest picture I have um, that I find those are the cutest pictures and a whole stash of books. So the top book is what I'm reading right now uh, for fun is a, um, an, a memoir by a, a CIA officer, uh, Amaryllis Fox. She's the author of it. And she actually is, was a past uh, CIA officer. So uh, I, I really like inspiring memoirs from inspiring women. Um, so I've read a couple all across the board. And um, that is inspiring to me to see how we women juggle so many things and what, what, what makes us hold things together. What is your favorite form of exercise? Walking, power walking, like, like walking really, you know, I walk my dog, but, but people have said to me, you walk as fast as some people jog. So I walk very fast. I don't run. I'm not a runner. I'm just a very fast walker. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hate to run. So I could so relate. What is one thing you're really grateful for in your life right now? My family. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they've been my rock. And we've nurtured a very nice family environment with a lot of transparency that goes both ways, right? Um, and uh, it, it just, it's a very strong bond that we have. So, uh, and, and my, my husband, my soulmate. Oh, beautiful. 
And last, I just want to ask you where people can reach you if they want to hear more from you. I do have a website. Um, it's called kistinscancercare.com. So that's my first name is K-I-R-S-T-I-N, Kirstin. And then there's an S there for Sam and then cancer care. So kistinscancercare.com. And there's a little button there if you want a free 15-minute assessment session. So it's a telephone conversation that uh, people could book to see if we would be a good fit. I don't work with everybody. <laughs> it really has to be a good fit because it's a coaching relationship. I don't do just single sessions. It definitely will always be packages um, because it's a, it's a nurturing, um, more long-term relationship that we, we foster. And, um, you know, people need to be prepared for that and ready for that. And, you know, if you're not, that's fine. It's absolutely okay. But, you know, we would be wasting both our times if we would commit to that. And then it's, it's, you, you can't follow through. Well, thank you so much for being on. This is going to help so many people. I can see it already. That's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. Doing so will really help this podcast get noticed and will help us to inspire more people. And remember, the sky is the limit when you take your power back when it comes to your health.